Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today.
sense that nothing can be gained taking them down to the next two minutes. Help us, Lord, to focus on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. There are hundreds of beautiful, wonderful commands in Scripture. Each laws for our best life. A great apostle reminded the church in Galatians 6 and verse number 2, we should bear one another's burdens. And when we do so, we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. Our Savior is a command giver. Oh yes, there's wonderful promises, but really, almost in every case, a command has a promise. The commands of Christ are, whether Old Testament or New Testament, they are the commands of God. Because Jesus Christ is co-equal and co-eternal. God the Son. And so today, four positive commands. Now there are some negative, at least stated negatively. But these are what we refer to as the positive commands. Now I know some people get all worked up. They get all triggered, as they say, because oh, the Bible has all those thou shalt nots. You know, you evangelicals, you're so negative. Frankly, I'd be honest with you, all the thou shalt nots have never bothered me in the Bible. I mean, that is, it never made me feel bad. My dad, for example, when he was, when I was a young child, he would set a hot plate of food in front of me, and he would issue me a warning. Don't touch the plate. It's very hot. It will burn me. Now, when my dad said that, I didn't say, oh, how unloving of you. What a hater you are. No, I didn't think that at all. Invariably, now did I always obey him? They always did invariably like a dumb dumb. How did I reach out to see if it really was hot? The fact of the matter is, a negative command shouldn't bother us because they're stated for a good and a positive reason. Let's not be like a little boy who's out playing and his mother calls him once, twice, three times, and his little friend said to him, You better go. Your mother's calling you. Oh, he said, I don't have to go yet. She's only called me three times. Friends, I want to be ready when Jesus calls. I want to be God's minister. There are four distinct times that he tasks. Issues that God says we should be ready about. But before we actually get too much further, we need to get an understanding of what it means to be ready. The word ready is from the Greek katanos. And it means to prepare. And it means to prepare, first of all, things. To prepare things. As when our Lord painted the parable word picture in Matthew 22, verse number 4. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. That's a good thing. It's a story. My oxen, my fattens are killed, and all things are ready. There's that word. It's the moss. Come unto the marriage. I'm a big fan of having things prepared, especially food. Early in my ministry, I accepted a few Sunday afternoon lunch invitations, which I was certainly very honored. Um, so after the morning service, we would go to the gracious people's house, we would walk in, we would sit down, and invariably they would look at me and say, 
hours later, we would have a wonderful treat. However, in the meantime, when they weren't looking, I was chewing on the post of the couch there. I was nibbling on the pillow, and then I'd run to the bathroom and want some office of water, anything, to try to stave off the light that was inside. And then the time I was done, and it was a good time, great food, usually, and great fellowship, but then try to come back for Sunday night, So we need to be ready. We need to have things ready. Like a Christian mom on Saturday night who helps all the children get ready to get all bathed and get their clothes and lay them out. When our kids were growing up, we had a policy, nothing on Saturday night. No church activities, no family activities. And uh, we just get ready for Sunday morning. And so this word, Ready means to be prepared with things. It also means to be prepared with people. For example, you may recall Simon Peter's testimony in Luke 22 and verse 33. Here he was testifying to his Lord, and he said, I am ready. There's that word again. This time, though, it means I'm a ready person. Not a ready thing, but a ready person. I'm ready to go to prison, and if need be, death. However, Peter only thought he was ready. He found out that while he might have been psyched up, he definitely was not afraid of. And as a result, he did fall. But he failed because he wasn't ready. So the question we would ask ourselves is, then, how does a person get spiritually ready? Well, as I was reading through this, no greater example came to my mind than that of Ezra. That mighty man of God in the Old Testament. So let's go to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, the Bible says that this scribe, this lover of the law, had the good hand of God upon him. Don't you love that statement? The good hand of God upon him. Well, why did he have the good hand of God upon him? Look at verse 10. For Ezra had prepared in his heart to seek the law of God and to do it. He was a man, he was ready. Now as I read through this passage and some associated passages, I understand that Ezra was prepared for three distinct reasons. First of all, he spent quality time in the Word of God. Look what it says in chapter 7 verse 6. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He was ready because he was a God-fearing, Bible-loving person. Now, Ezra was one of three key leaders God used to reestablish Israel as they came back to their land after captivity. The Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah, a wonderful layman, godly layman, a great spiritual leader who combined with 
so irritated that he just hung up on his mother. He was back so irritated with his mother, he didn't talk to her for six months. After a while, finally he relented and they met up. But he had some words to say to her. He said, Mommy, you let me down. I need you as a mother. And all you could say is read your Bible. Well, son, did you read your Bible? Did you pray? Yes, I read my Bible and I prayed. But I'm as broke now as I've ever been. She said, Son, do you have your Bible with you? And he reached in his knapsack and pulled out that Bible and he handed her the book. She said, Son, I want to ask you one more time. Did you pray and read your Bible? Yes, Mom, I told you I prayed and read the Bible. And she looked at me in the eyes. She said, Son, I'll pray. You need to pray more than you. And she opened up that Bible. And at every major divisional text, there was a crisp $100 bill taped on the inside. If he had just opened up his Bible, he indeed would have got every answer he was seeking. The fact of the matter is, if we'll read, if we'll look into the Word of God, we will, in quality time, have a heart that's prepared. Number two, not only was Ezra's heart prepared because of his time in the Word, he spent time with space. You know, it's one thing to have our head filled, it's quite another to have our heart full of God and energy. If you're going to bring thousands of Jewish people, young and old, across hundreds of semi arid deserts from a foreign land back to Jerusalem, you're going to need some energy. You need more than your head full, you need your heart full. You need to spend some time with God. And that's why it says in Ezra chapter 8, so we fasted. We besought our God for this. We got on our faces before the Lord. You know it's not wrong to seek the favor of good people. As long as we don't ever compromise, the Bible would do so. But infinitely, how more important it is to seek the favor of God in our lives. And that's done on our faces before God. Like we uh, heard just a few moments ago that you know, I'm just uh, overwhelmed
sad and like many of you, you put a holy fire in my soul. It never ceases to amaze me how you just uh, get me so excited about the Lord. And that's why it's so wise, by the way, that God came up with this plan called First Day. He said, now, on First Day, you need to set aside everything you're doing. You need to stop. You need to leave your house and you need to come together. I know it's not easy. And it wasn't easy for those people back then either. Just like it is now. But he said, when you come together, you're like uh, coals that just keep each other hot in the Lord. I once read about a man in the eastern state who was passing a very busy seven-day-a-week coal mine in bygone years. Back in the day when they used to
go. And because we're ready, we'll know it because it's, I think, one of the greatest motivations for godliness or purity, as God says. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Because we know that when he shall appear, and he's going to appear, you say, well, I just don't see it, I don't feel it. Well, that's why Jesus said, when you think not. If you're not thinking about it, well, that's probably exactly the very moment. But we know that he shall appear. And when he does, verse 3, every man that hath this hope in him, this thought, this conviction, this sense in him, purifies himself even as he is pure. Now many times, a woman or a man think they're getting away with it. Now let me just tell you right now, if you think you're getting away with something, you're not. You may think you are, but you're not. Because the Bible says that he is always watching. In fact, the Bible says the daytime is light and the nighttime is light to him. Psalm 139, verse 12. I heard about a bank robber who went to the bank, took a note, passed it to the teller. Give me all your money. The teller wrote a note, sent it back to him across the counter. And it said, fix your hair, stupid. They're taking your picture, and they're coming right now. I think I can say the same thing to each of us. Fix yourself, stupid. God's camera is rolling, and he's coming right now. We need to fix ourselves. Be ready to go. Number two, be ready to guard. Are we ready to guard? Now, while we expectantly wait for the return of Christ, we ought to be always witnessing the gospel of Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Let's sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That means just make, make this God present in your life. Make it special. And be ready always. And be ready always. Be ready. Be a minute man for the Lord. Be an answer to every man that asks of you what? The reason of the hope. And do so with meekness and fear. Peter's reminder here is to be ready not just to go, but to we live in an ungodly culture. There's no doubt about that. And it's only a matter of time when you will be called upon to answer for your convictions and your feelings that are so different from the world. You need to be ready, the Bible says, to give an answer. Now the word answer there is uh, actually the Greek word of orgeia, from which we get our word apology. It does not refer to the expression of regret. He's talking about a formal defense, like a court of law. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was called to stand before the governmental authorities. So he's preaching the gospel. Really a terrible thing to do, you know. But there he was, preaching the gospel, helping people know how to get saved. The Roman emperor didn't like it. And so, here, Paul gives a little biographical sketch. And he uses that word, apologia. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, at my first answer, at my first defense, at my first legal answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid in their charge. The fact of the matter is, in this world today, increasingly, we're going to be called upon to give an answer for what we stand for. The crazy thing is, the nutty thing is, we're even asked now, to give an answer for what we think. Consider the case of 
thing was going to happen. Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, verse 34, the people that our Lord gave a little heads up about what's going to happen. He said, Think not that I've come to send peace on the earth. Yes, I've come to give people peace with God, but that's not going to mean that it's going to bring peace on earth. In fact, the more Christ like you are, the more volatile things get. That's the crazy thing. I came not to send peace with a sword. For I have come to set a man in variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's foes would be good with his own household. And so formally, we may have to give an answer, a defense, governmentally, and then sometimes personally, we may have to give an answer, a defense. And he says specifically, here's what we have to give an answer for. The hope that is within us. Well, what is that hope? Well, 1 Peter, we're not left without knowledge on this. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. The hope, the hope. Very similar to the word, the faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, he clarifies, verse 3. Blessed be the Lord God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to the abundant mercy hath begotten us again, Unto a lively, that's the King James word, meaning just a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is what he's talking about. Do you have an answer for the gospel this evening? That's really the hope. You know, what? there's all kinds of things we could say politically and governmentally, but the fact of the matter is our main defense is, why do you so believe in Jesus? Why is he in your soul? Notice what he says to do. He says, do it with meekness and fear. That's the last part of verse 15. Do it with meekness and fear. Now please never misunderstand. Meekness does not mean weakness. Uh, in fact, the most meek people are definitely not weak. They are very powerful. They just know how to control. They do so gently. The fact of the matter is, there's no way that you can live in this world if you were a God-fearing person and not be grieved at what's going on. And sometimes it almost turns into a righteous anger. Anger. But I can tell you this. You cannot have an angry spirit and make a difference for God. It just doesn't work. In defending the faith, I believe the best way to answer is to do as James chapter 4, verse 6 says. And this is the policy I always try to follow. This is the way we do it around here. If you come to the offices, you'll probably notice this. James chapter 4, verse number 6. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. With the broken, with the repentant, with the humble, we pour the oil of mercy and grace on the wounds. You'll always find love and forgiveness and grace if you come in with a broken and humble heart. But if you come in proud, if you come in bitter, if you come in mad with a wet hand, I promise you, So with one, we give the oil of joy and grace and mercy. With the other, we give the hammer of the law. Because God's very clear about how we do this. God said, you need to be ready to give an answer for the gospel that's in you. If they're open-minded, if they're somewhat open to the gospel, then give mercy. If they're not, you can give them the law. One man was talking to the late Dr. Robert Keeley, one of the greatest Baptist orators has ever lived. He was wanting to hear right with the Lord, but he was hanging on to a little something. 
generously through a koinika. Do it together. Be a clearinghouse for the kingdom of God. I read of a man who had had a very successful restaurant and catering business. But uh, even as successful as he was, he can't stop the clock that became his fasting. He We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.